And let's begin. This is the mentality ideal of alacrity and zeal with guest star Eliyahu Hanafi. This is Reb T. I officially welcome you back to the bi-weekly lecture series with Reb T. The show where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. The shir is sponsored in memory of Le'iloi Nishmas, Toibo Rezel, Bas Yosef Yitzchak, and should also be for a continued refuah shalema of Sarah Adel Baschan and for the complete refuah shalema of those who are sick with coronavirus or other ailments. A big shout out to Jake W. of SheerEnjoyment.com for all his help and hard work. All of my other shirim, the daily shirim, the weekly shirim that I do are on shirenjoyment.com slash shirim slash shirim dash reb dash t. In the merit of learning about alacrity and zeal as well as Eliyahu Hanavi, we should be zolcha for Hashem to send us Eliyahu himself to speedily come as soon as possible and announce the ultimate redemption with alacrity and zeal. Unless noted otherwise, we love Safaria.org. Our sources come from Safaria.org. Misspelled here on the sources, but it is Safaria.org. A wonderful, wonderful situation, a wonderful website to use. So over the years, there have been many, many characters in Tanakh I have felt drawn to and connected to more than others. One of them, if not the most, is that of Eliyahu Hanavi. His character is fascinating. The sages teach he had a majestic look, a royal look, and appearance. He commanded respect and adherence. It kind of lahavdil reminds me of the wizard, super lahavdil in movies like those of Gandalf and Dumbledore, for those of you who follow that stuff like me. When I think of Eliyahu Hanavi, I think of zealotry and alacrity. The dictionary definition, the, it defines alacrity as brisk and cheerful readiness, as well as eagerness, keenness, zeal, fervor, and agility. While zeal itself is defined as fanatical devotion, uncompromising pursuit of religious, political, or other ideals, and also fervor, tireless devotion for a person, for a cause, for an ideal, and a determination in its furtherance, diligent enthusiasm, powerful interest. Good zealotry as a side note is what we're going to try to focus on alongside the main idea of alacrity here. If you follow along with us, you follow the train, you follow our thought process. First, we're going to go through some sources on alacrity. Then we're going to go through some sources on zeal. Finally, we will look through some elements of the character, the captivating character of Eliyahu Hanavi. Make sure to make sure to mute yourself. Make sure to mute yourself. So first, let's look at this interesting thing about Eliyahu Hanavi. Interestingly, my wife and myself believe we have our own Eliyahu Hanavi story. Eliyahu has been present throughout history, appears many times in the Gemara. More on that later in the sources, God willing. My wife and I once decided to deliver packages a few years ago for Tomchei Shabbos in Queens. It was very late. We were traveling around the neighborhoods of Queens to deliver all these different packages. But with one of them, we hit a snag. We could not, for the life of us, find the home to deliver the package to. We circled around and around and tried so many different streets. And the good old GPS was not good. It was not helpful. It was as if the street did not even exist. There was no one around. The streets were dark. The streets were deserted. We pulled into an empty parking lot. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a middle-aged man appeared. 
The man literally came out of thin air. I jumped out of the car. I chased over to him. I asked this man if he could please help us. Please. The man, quote unquote, the man literally took me to the home with point by point directions. Through an alley, over a step to get to the right place. Meanwhile, in the car, my wife was literally panicking. Wondering where this stranger, quote-unquote, was taking me. Can you imagine some guy you've never met before take your spouse away? You don't know where he's going. When I came back, I told my wife, when I went out to thank him, he was gone. He had vanished without a trace. Literally was sent by Hashem to help us then and there, and then just disappeared. We never saw him again. That's the character of Eliohanavi. He takes his alacrity. He takes his zeal. He appears out of nowhere to help people do the mitzvot, to try to do good things, and then vanishes away into thin air. This, what we're going to talk about, is not officially related to crazy corona times, but talking about society in general. Nowadays, in our society, it's so easy to be lazy, to be a couch potato. With the invent of all of our smart technology at the touch of a button, we don't have to get up, we don't have to go anywhere, we don't have to do anything. We can buy whatever we want within just a few clicks. Even cars nowadays, with this Carvana craziness, you could buy a car with like three clicks, you could spend a fortune and not have to leave your couch. We can get groceries and everything else, cars included, delivered, while all devices have the ability to watch or read anything we like without even moving. Further, our society is an instant gratification one. I need this now is the overriding ideal. It's like the marshmallow test we learned about in psychology in undergrad that they did for little kids, and it's on a great scale in society, a huge scale. These kids were offered one marshmallow now, but Johnny, if you wait, if you just wait five minutes, I'll give you two marshmallows. But Johnny and Charlie and Sarah and, and Schmerl and Yerl and Joe and whatever, none of those kids could wait. They could not wait for later. They had to have the marshmallow now. The whole society is like this little kid. It's like little children. Nobody, in general, a general statement that I've seen in society, unfortunately, people don't want to work on things. They don't want to do things. They want to put effort into things. If it's difficult, I don't want to do it. I don't want to put the effort in. I don't want to put my ishtadlis in. Why should I? It's a disposable society. For example, nowadays, over 50% of marriages don't work out in society. That's one out of every two marriages. And they use the fakakta irreconcilable differences reason. They check off on the list because people in society, especially in entertainment, they don't want to use passion. They don't want to use energy. They don't want to work through or try through problems, especially in Hollywood, especially in secular society. They just feel, I'll get a different relationship. Things like divorce and separation don't hold a stigma or red alert in societal eyes anymore. Even further than that, additionally, society is full of selfishness. There's so much selfishness out there in the world. The society is full of, what can you do for me? Advertisers try to push us, what do you need? What can I give you? How can I give this to you? What do you need to make your life better? Me, 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 you, you, you. It's all about what can be done for me to make me better. I need this product. It's so important to make my life happier. People think, what can you give me that I really need? No one runs to do things or work hard at things because they're too focused on themselves and what they think they deserve or is rightfully theirs, in quotes, rightfully theirs, quote-unquote. 
It's the privileged and entitled philosophy where they believe everything is, is due to them without working for it or running for it or putting an effort for it. For example, kids used to have to own up to mistakes in school. They had to work on them. But nowadays the teachers are faulted for the errors of the students when in the past the kids would own up, understand mistakes, understand failures, and acknowledge their own mistakes and work on them. I believe the lack of working on things is a direct Yetzirah to zealotry and alacrity. It's also the best friend, in my opinion, of one of our enemies of accomplishing or getting things done, namely that of procrastination. Why should I do that now? Can't it wait till later? I don't have to do that now. I have all day. The thinking is not, in my opinion, Jewish in origin or ideal. We have to use carpe diem, seize the day now, do what we can today. We never know what will tomorrow bring. Who knows if I will have time tomorrow? Who knows if I'll have the space tomorrow? Who knows if I'll have the opportunity tomorrow? Do it today. We can and should still rest and relax, making time for family, especially spouses every night with daytime. I'm very strong on that. But not for the whole day or so much time at once. As the famous phrase from Nike goes, just do it now. You have to get up, you got to go, and you have to do it. We're going to talk about the ideal that is Jewish in nature very soon. I would not just say just do it. I would say do it now. In addition, how often do we have alacrity and zeal for non-mitzvah things, non-Torah things? We're so passionate and zealous to run to the new restaurant. We're so passionate to watch our shows, watch our movies with our spouses and families. We're so excited and so full of energy to read a great book. Where's that same fire, the same passion, the same determination and zest and zeal for Torah and mitzvos? We can't let our evil inclinations, our Yetzirah, use our passions in a less than best way. Again, of course, I'm saying resting, relaxing, and spending time with family is important and necessary too. But there has to be a proper balance. There has to be a proper equation. You have to use your zeal, use your passion, use your alacrity for good to change the world through Torah and mitzvos. Be a proper zealot, one of alacrity for Hashem through learning Torah and doing the mitzvos. If you have an idea, I've said this many times and I love to say it every day. If you have an idea, you have a zeal, we talk about this on all my shows also. If you have a passion and a penchant for something, you must do it. You cannot keep it to yourself. You have an idea, you must share it with the world. It's almost a sin to hold it to yourself. You must run with it. Do something with it. You're supposed to do something that no one else will. You're supposed to contribute your dollar almost of your small corner of contributions to the world. There never was a person like you, I always say. There never will be another person like you, and there is no one exactly like you in the entire world. Hashem would not bring you to this world unless you have something specific, something unique, and something to contribute to this world that nobody else can. The world was created for me, so what can I do in this world that was created for me? I was brought here with hopefully 120 years. What am I doing to contribute to this world? That's why I do this lecture series. That's why I do my audio shows. This is where I felt Hashem is guiding me with a love and a passion for radio and audio recordings. Pirkei Elvis explains my favorite Sefer. We have a whole show about it because I love this Sefer. 
Don't talk about how you might have time another time says, as a listener just pointed out. There might not be time. You do it now. And Pirkei Elvis explains to 2.5, You must stand up where no one else will stand up. If there is no person, there is no man to do this, you must be the person to do it. You have an idea, you must roll with it. You have an invention, you must roll with it. That's why, again, we do the PAL, we do the Parsha show, we do the DAF show, we do the lecture series, and we do the OT show. I felt like this is where I'm guided, and hopefully every one of us can figure out what we're supposed to do, especially during crazy corona times. We have to listen to our inner voice, listen to our passion. If you have a zeal for something, you must follow it. That's probably what you're supposed to do. As OU.org points out, according to Rav Noach Weinberg, the famous, famous, wonderful founder of Eish Torah. If you don't know what you're living for, you have not yet lived. You have to find out what you're living for, what we're here to do with our time on this world. It's not about watching movies all day. It's not about reading books all day. That's not why we're here. You could do that when you're, when you're five. You could do that when you're 15. But you shouldn't be doing that all day, every day, especially in corona times. If you don't know what you're living for, you haven't yet lived. Living your life with purpose is the ultimate Jewish value. We need to stand up, use our zeal, use our passion, use our alacrity, and change the world for our better, involving ourselves in Tikkun Olam to make it a wonderful existence to be a part of. The Jews get such a bad rap. We're the chosen people. Why are you chosen and no one else? But they don't understand what it means to be chosen is chosen to make the world a better place. We're not chosen because we're better than anyone else. We're chosen because we have to do something to make the world better for everyone else. It's a different shift of mind. We have to realize what we're chosen to do. We're chosen to help others do good to make the world better. Interestingly, from OU.org, the fascinating story of Mayor Shapiro a fascinating rabbi. He had this brilliant idea. He had an energy. He had a zeal. He had a passion. He wanted everyone to learn Gemara. At that time, the Aguda Convention was coming. It was a very bold concept. It was a very innovative concept. Nobody thought of it. Nobody was doing it yet. But Rabbi Meir Shapir was also very unav. He was very humble. And he didn't want to give the proposal. He didn't want to put it forth as his own idea. He was worried to do it until the Chafetz Chaim himself came to him and spoke to him and said, you must share this with the world. You must show it as your own. You thought of it. You must share it with us. You're the one that has the energy for it. You're the one that has the passion for this idea. You're the one that thought of this beautiful and innovative idea. You must share it with the world. At the Aguda Convention in 1923, about a hundred years ago almost, he put forth it. It was enthusiastically received worldwide. Thanks to him, we have learned Dafyomi cycle upon cycle upon cycle. Every Jew in the world knows about Dafyomi. Every Jew in the world can participate in Dafyomi. Every Jew in the world can learn the entire Shas in seven and a half years. Thanks to this brilliant idea of Rabbi Shapiro. Unfortunately, Rabbi Shapiro did not have any children, but it's said that he might have said that every person that learns Daf is his child. Every person that takes his legacy is his child because the spiritual matter, the spiritual children, those people that learn because of his concept are able to bring forth and bring his happiness up in Shemayim. A beautiful idea you have to share. Thanks to him, we have Daf Yomi. So first we're going to look at alacrity, then we're going to move over to zeal, and then we're going to move over to Eliyahu Hanavi, one of my favorite characters, if not the favorite, in Tanakh. The first thing we point out is Psachim. Zerizin makdim in le mitzvos. You get up 
and you run to do mitzvahs. Those who are vigilant, those who want to seek out Hashem, those who want to do good things, they jump up at the opportunity. You have the ability to do a mitzvah, you do it right away. Brismila can be done anytime, but you do brismila at 7.30 in the morning. You ever wonder why brismilas are at such crazy fakak times? Why do I have to get to that shul at 7 o'clock? It's a Sunday. Why is he doing the bris meal at 6.45? Can't we do it 10.45? I want to sleep a little. No, when you're a Zariz, when you run for the mitzvah, you do the bris right away. You do it as soon as it's daylight. For our oldest son, we changed around the time, but for our other son, we did it very, very early. Sometimes because of different factors, you make it later, but many times you do it early in the, in the morning. Avram Avinu, he is known for chesed, but also for alacrity. He got up, he circumcised his entire household right in the morning because he was so eager to do the mitzvah. But when you do the mitzvah, you have to do it, and you have to do it right away. And if you have the idea, like we mentioned, you must share it with everyone, because as Pirkei Elos explains, Hillel says another fascinating character throughout the Talmud, Im nili mili. If I am not for myself, who is for me? No one will do the mitzvah for you. You do the mitzvah. Nobody could do it for you. But if I am for myself, what am I? If I have an idea, I have a concept, I have a great invention, and I keep it to myself, what am I doing? It's selfish. It's almost a sin not to share it with the world. You have something that could benefit the world, and you don't share it. Can you imagine if Einstein didn't share his inventions? Can you imagine if Edison didn't share his inventions? you imagine Pascal, the people who, invent, who found out about bacteria and the like, found out about vaccines, they didn't share it? How much worse the world would have been? Your invention could save the world. Your alacrity, your zeal for an idea that no one else has could share the world. So our first major point of today, if you have a great idea, you follow the arrows, you must share it with the world. It would be a sin almost to keep it to yourself. If we only do our things for ourselves, if we don't do it now, if we don't share it with the world, we're not sharing our passion, what are we doing here? Again, another point. We need to seize the moment today. No one else will do the mitzvah for you. You need to jump off. Run after things and do them now. Don't wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come with the same chances and opportunities. The enemy of doing things now is procrastination. Do not fall prey to his traps. Don't let him get you. Fight him and beat him. Perkelvis explains in 4.2, Ben Aze explains, Have a mitzvah kala kevachamura. You must be quick in performing a minor commandment like as in a major commandment and flee from sins. I don't care what mitzvah comes to your hand. You must do it right away. Don't tell me it's not important. It's just uh, bringing the tefillin home that he left from Shul. Hashavah Saveda, Chesed, that's a major mitzvah. You can't tell me what mitzvah is more important than another one and you cannot... Give it away. Don't lose the opportunity to do the mitzvah. You must do the mitzvah right away, but you must flee from transgressions. So you have to run to do the mitzvah. Another point, you must run away from sins. You use the alacrity to do good, and you must flee from the bad. Perkevus points out in 4.15, you should also be zealous and alacritous in greeting people. Can I tell you, there are so many times just saying, please... Just saying thank you, just saying how are you, just saying how is your day going, literally can change a person's life around, literally can change a person's day around. There's a story of a famous sage who comes to to get his car checked out, get his car filled with gas. I don't remember who the rabbi is, and I don't remember who said the story. I don't remember any aspect. I just remember the overall theme, so bear with me. The rabbi comes, 
and he fills up his gas and he talks to the gas attendant and he gives him the time of day and he gives him his attention. He gives him his focus and that guy would look forward to every time the rabbi came, the rabbi would talk to him and, and give him the time of day and talk to him. That guy was so despondent, so depressed, but he would so look forward to the time every time the rabbi came. One time the guy found out that the rabbi passed away and he started bawling. He sat on the ground and he bawled and was inconsolable. So another Jew happened to be there and comes up to him and says, Did you know this rabbi? Were you friends with him? Were you neighbors? And he said, I didn't know the rabbi, but I knew the rabbi. I wasn't his friend, but he was a friend to me. The rabbi would come every time. He would talk to me. He would ask me about my day. He would be so zealous and checking in and so alacritous with talking with me and seeing how I was doing that because of him, he saved my life. I was so depressed working here. I was so dejected working here. And now that rabbi is gone. And who do I have left? Who's going to ask me about my day? Who's going to talk to me, treat me human? Can you imagine what a person can do? One good word, one kind word. You say please, you say thank you. You'll be the first person to extend the greeting. You'll be the one to say hi first. I don't care if he's a schnook you've hated for 20 years. We've used that phrase before, but it applies here too. You'd be the first. You'd be the better man. You'd be the better woman. You stand up. You greet the person first. You talk to the person. You give them the time of day, whether it's Jew, non-Jew, whether it's a sanitation worker or a bank tailor. It doesn't matter. You have the proper countenance. Perkevos also explains you must greet everybody with a smile, with a pleasant countenance, with a pleasant appearance, because that literally could change a person's day. Perkelvis explains elsewhere that you must be strong as a leopard and 520 and swift as an eagle and fleet as a gazelle, fast as a deer and brave as a lion. We'll pick up on that later also. To do what Hashem wants, you have to be quick to run to do the mitzvahs. There's a fascinating medrash, I believe, that explains... When, ya- when Yaakov Avinu passes away, Yosef leads the charge. He honors the, the swear that he said to Yaakov, which is probably the only reason he was allowed to go. As Paro says, because of the swear, you go take your dad, you go bury him. So there's this whole procession and tens of people put their crowns on the, on the coffin once they see Yosef put his crown on, as the Medjus explains. And they're going, they're going, they arrive at the Me'arat and Esav stands in the way of the burial process of Yaakov Avinu. Such a degradation, such a dejectedness on the family, so, so mean and so embarrassing for the mace. It's such a bizarre to the mace. And the brothers start engaging with Esav. Esav says, who gave you the right to bury Yaakov here? The brothers say, Yaakov has the right, we have the deed. But the deed is not with us. The deed is in Mitzrayim. The brothers go back and forth and they say, Naphtali, you need to run back to Mitzrayim and get the deed. Why do they choose Naphtali? Why is Naphtali the one that has to go back? Because in Parsha's Vayechi, my favorite Parsha in the whole Torah, because it's my Bar Mitzvah Parsha, it says, Naphtali, Ayalashu Lucha, Hanoseinim Reishafer. Naphtali is swift like a gazelle, he's swift like a deer, he's the fastest one of the brothers. Naphtali, run, get the burial deed from Egypt. Meanwhile, Dan's son, Chushim, has no idea what's going on. Chushim is deaf and he's looking around and he has no idea what's going on. He's getting more and more incensed on behalf of his grandfather. How could you have the chutzpah to keep Yaakov here from being buried? Yaakov Avinu? One of the three forefathers, a great, great man. What a chutzpah. He's so angry. He doesn't understand the ramifications. He doesn't understand what's going on between the people. He stands up. He takes his sword. And he chops off the head of his own uncle. He literally kills Esav. He stands up. He's zealous on behalf of Yaakov. And Naphtali's alacritous on behalf of Yaakov. Both aspects 
coming together in this beautiful medrash, crazy medrash, very sad medrash in a way, but beautiful how they use their methods to get up. And it unwittingly, it really fulfilled Rivka's prophecy when she talked about, when she sent away Yaakov, why should I be bereft of both of you on the same day? They actually were buried on the same day. Just an interesting point on the side. Ramam and Pirkei explains that those who want to honor themselves, they want to honor the Torah, they want to honor the sages, you have alacrity, you do alacrity. If you don't have alacrity, you're desecrating the Torah. And the Maharal explains in the Tosfos Yom Tovan Avos, you, the reward varies with alacrity. The more effort expended, the better the commandment, the higher the commandment, the more performing, the more performance and the more merit you get for doing the commandment. We think about Lefum Tsar Agra, but it's also to the alacrity comes the reward. How much alacrity you put in is how much reward you could get also. Rav Yochanan Bitzakai pointed out by Aish was the leading sage in the land of Israel. But what was amazing, besides with tens of things that he would do, he single-handedly saved Torah in Yavne. He saved uh, the family. He saved a, a sage who was dying of hunger. And he single-handedly figured out a way to save Torah in Yavne for another time. Anyway, he relates, the Talmud relates, he would initiate a greeting with each person he met in the marketplace. It doesn't matter if it's a Jew, it doesn't matter if it's a non-Jew, pointed out by Brachos. This is in times when the pagan Romans, the terrible Romans were ruling, that were usually hostile and not nice to the Jews, and he still said, and still would make sure to initiate a greeting with each and every person. But you go back in the Torah, and you go back in the Parshiot, you go back in Shemos, and you see that this characterization, this ideal, goes way back even to Miriam's time. When Moshe was saved by his mom, Yochavet, he was put into the river, he sent away. Miriam was the one standing there watching, seeing what's going to happen with Moshe. I know that Moshe is the Savior, but what's going to happen? We're sending him away. I see him being picked up by this random maids, by this random Bas Paro. And Basparo sees that he's not taking food from anybody. So Miriam goes with alacrity. She runs to find her own mom. Crazy hashkacha in the story that Moshe's own mom was able to feed him and inculcate him with values for like two years in the palace. Miriam went and she was able to use her alacrity. She ran to get her mom so that Moshe can have nourishment from his own mom. And you know, the Bnei Israel took care of her later when she had Saras. They wouldn't move because Mo- Miriam wouldn't move until she saw what happened with her own brother. We need to be the first to run to do things, including seizing upon a mitzvah, greeting others. The harder it is to do things, the more reward will come, even though we don't do it for the reward. Yuma points out, and another source later on points out, even if we have to desecrate Shabbos, we must show alacrity to save lives. Pikuach nefesh docha Shabbos. If we see someone falling into a pit, we don't say, ah, it's Shabbos, I can't help him. If we see someone drowning, we can't say, oh my gosh, it's the other gender, I can't have her, I can't help her. It's Shabbos and it's the other gender. We need to show alacrity. Saving lives is the most important, even on Shabbos. If you show alacrity in this and alacrity in other mitzvot, it's truly praiseworthy. And then the Tom, the Talmud says in Menachos, if you show alacrity in mitzvahs, especially the mitzvah of tzitzis, which is reminiscent of all the mitzvahs in the Torah because it equals 613 with the strings and the knots, you show alacrity in this commandment, you will merit to receive the face of the Divine Presence, which is no small task, no small feat. Kitzur Shulchan Aruch points out, when you wake up in the morning, if you're anything like me, it's very, very difficult. I hate mornings. I am not a morning person. The Kitzur Shulchan Aruch says, Reb T, you need to fix this. 
You need to be strong as a lion. You need to awaken, recite Moda'ani, jump out of bed, rise with alacrity out of bed. You need to serve Hashem with your passion, with your zeal. If the building was on fire, God forbid, you would jump up faster than Halabaloo. If the building had some sort of security breach, you would jump up faster than you could say hello. And if you were to meet the President of the United States, how fast would you get dressed? How fast would you run? If you had an important business transaction to get you millions of dollars, how fast would you go? But for Hashem, who's the king of all kings, you don't do so. It's the Yetzirah trying to fight us. It's procrastination, laziness. Atzal is trying to get us down. We need to fight our Yetzirah. We need to get up stronger, faster than we would do anything else because Hashem himself gave us life, gave us everything in this world. We must do that. And the, we point out from Avram here in Ramban and Rabbeinu Bachia, Avram Avinu had hundreds of servants, but when it came to dealing with what Hashem asked and what Sarah asked, he did it. Sarah told him, we need to send away Hagar, we need to send away Yishmael. This was one of the tests of, the, of Avram, according to one of the sages, according to one of the, the Mepharshim commentators, because it was anathema. It was antithesis to Avraham's being. How could I send away someone into the desert? My being is chesed. My being is kindness, and I should send away my own son from my house? Very difficult for Avram, but when he found out that it was Hashem's will, he got up early in the morning and he did so. He sent them off with bread and water, even though it wasn't enough to last because Yishma was sick. And then he knew of, of, that he had to do the circumcision. He did it with great alacrity. He, he did it for his whole house, and even when he was weak, he still served the, angel, he served the angels that came to him because he was so full of alacrity to do the mitzvahs of Hashem. He even carried the wood for the offering for three whole days to go to the Akedah Sitzchak because he was so passionate to do the mitzvah for Hashem. And you have to take his, his, his trait of alacrity, single-mindedness of purpose that Avram had and apply it to the task. You don't just use it for mitzvahs, but of course do it for chesed, which was one of the penultimate mitzvahs as well. The opposite of Avraham is Bilam. Bilam had alacrity, but for the wrong things, the wrong reasons. He was the exact opposite. He was arrogant. He wanted to curse the Jews. He wanted to get rid of the Jews. He went up, and he stood up, and he got. He saddled his donkey early in the morning. Hashem laughs in him, Kiviyachol. The sages say, Avraham pre predisposed you. Avraham already preconditioned you. Avraham precursored you. Avraham got up early in the morning for good. You get up early in the morning for horribleness. Avram already was better than you. And Pirkei Elvis already explains that Avram and Bilam are opposites for other reasons, not for now. Rabbeinu Bachia points out in Shemos that the Jewish woman wouldn't give anything for the Egel Azav. But when it came to the Mishkan, they volunteered their most precious possessions with alacrity, proper alacrity, because Sukkah and Yoma point out two terrible instances how alacrity could be used for terribleness. The Gemara explains in Sukkah that people were looking for the nicest lulav. They were looking for the nicest esrog. And it, this unfortunately could be found today easily. In any case, when they were looking for the lulav, there was a mad scramble for lulavim and it led to brawls. This is what's called a case of people allowing their religious zeal to go overboard. Their lacrity to going to the negative, causing them to neglect the welfare of their fellow human being. And Yuma points out a very famous tragic story. The, the Kohanim had such a zeal, such an alacrity, such a zest to do the mitzvos, to be the Kohen, to do the Deshen, to moving the ashes, to giving the Karbanos. Before there was a lottery, they, whoever would get there first, basically, first come, first serve. But an incident occurred where two of the Kohanim were equal as they were running and ascending the ramp 
One of them literally shoved the other Kohen. Rahman al-Litzani fell and his leg was broken because he was so zealous in the midst of it, he lost sight of the fact of treating other people with respect. And the sages also taught him the Tosefta. Another incident occurred when there were two Kohanim were equal. They were running, ascending the ramp at the same time. Rahman al-Litzani, we should never know from such things. One of them reached the place before his friend, before his colleague, not his friend, out of anger, he took a knife and he stabbed him in the heart. Can you imagine the brutalness, the horribleness? You want to do a mitzvah, but you totally disregard You totally disregard the idea of the rabbinic phrase, Derech Eretz Kadmala Torah. There is no Torah if you don't have Derech Eretz first. You must have the idea, the rabbinic phrase of Derech Eretz Kadmala Torah. I don't care how zealous you are for a mitzvah, treating other people with respect, Treating other people properly, having proper manners, comes first, always, before anything else. Make sure you're an alacritous mensch first. You need to have the proper alacrity for the right reasons. These are two points here. For Torah and mitzvot, not misguided or misplaced to get honor or a privilege. I don't care how badly you want to make Kiddush. I don't care how badly you want an aliyah on Simchas Torah. You do not elbow people out of your way. You do not push people out of your way. That's why a lot of times at weddings I get very sechitz. Unfortunately, people are crazy with cramming in. This guy wants to get into the chasm. This guy wants to get into the chasm. People literally stomp on my feet. I broke my foot almost. My toe was broken at one of the weddings I went to recently because people are so involved in the zeal of the mitzvah. They totally disregard the fact that everyone's getting crunched. Everyone's getting smashed. Everyone's getting punched and elbowed in the ribs and the face. I would get squished so many times before I was my height that I am now, for example. But even now, I still get squished. I still get squashed. And I always tell my wife, I really hate two aspects of weddings. When they dance the chassan in, the chassan out. Those are two parts I really don't like. It's very, very tight. And it's very, very lacking the kavod. I feel like it's really lacking Derek Harris. There must be a better manner. There must be a better decorum. And think about weddings that have such loud music. It's beautiful to be Misamea Chasim Vakala, but where's the Derek Harris? Why should we lose our hearing so you can be Misamea Chasim Vakala? It's absurd. We have to have the right alacrity, the right zeal for the right way, for the right mitzvahs. The introduction to the Babylonian Talmud explained that a mitzvah can be performed at daytime or nighttime. You do it in the daytime. You do it when it comes to you right away. You don't prevent it to be neglected or to encourage disalacrity. You want it to be done, you do it right away the second you get it. Even though we could technically do a mitzvah throughout the day or night, another point, we should go above and beyond, run to perform the mitzvah as fast as we can. Don't let it waste away. And if you also, on the Shabbos, like we talked about before, even when there is a danger, when there's a sakana, you still desecrate the Shabbos. You still take care of the briosa olam. You still take care of everyone around you because that is what's praiseworthy. You take care of those around you. And when you have alacrity in that, that's really good. And Bamidra Rabba points out that Moshe, two great examples from Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe knew this was the last thing he was going to do in his life. We mentioned this before, but this is a different spin. Moshe was told exact vengeance from the Midianim and then you're going to die. Do you think Moshe waited? Do you think Moshe said, oh, you know, this is the last mitzvah I could do and then I'm going to die. It's contingent on me doing the mitzvah. Let me wait a week. Let me wait five months. I could get some more time. No, Moshe did it right away. Even though he knew he was going to die. He did alacrity to do the mitzvah 
right away. When Moshe was told to do the Mishkan, to get the princes involved, he did it right away. Even though it was going to take a month, he moved the second he got the mitzvah as fast as he could to get the Mishkan off the ground. Shmir Salash and the Chavz Chaim points out a beautiful example. Moshe Rabbeinu was given three Ari Miklat to set aside, but the Ari Miklat would not go into existence. They would not go into effect until many, many years later, until Yehoshua, his disciple, his protege, takes over. Many years later, after dividing the land and apportioning the land and getting rid of all the people that were in the land, but still Moshe said, if a mitzvah comes to my hand, how could I not do it? Everything that is in my power to do, I will do. I cannot let go of a mitzvah. It comes to me, I do it right away. He did the mitzvah, even though it wouldn't go in effect until later, he still set aside those three cities, because as the Talmud explains, if a mitzvah comes to your hand, do not Hesitate to do it. Do not let it become chametz. Do not let it become leaven, and do not let the opportunity be lost. Someone else might take it upon it, but you should be the one that gets the merit. You should be the one that does the mitzvah. Nachshon ben Aminadav, fascinating character in Tom in in the in the Tanakh in the Shem, in the Shemos book. We know many things about him. He was the tribe leader of Yehuda. The main, the most famous thing he's known for is jumping into the sea. Rabbi Yehuda explains in Sota. Nachshon had such zeal, such alacrity, that the Bnei Israel were coming out of Mitzrayim. Paro, after hearing from his spies, after three days the Jews were not coming back, Paro takes his own chariot, he's alacritous for the wrong reason. He takes his own chariot, which he never did, he was so full of the wrong zeal to fight after the Jews to get him back. He's cornering them, they have the river, the water on one side, I mean, they have Mitzrayim on the other side. Moshe Rabbeinu is praying, but Hashem says to him, this is not the time to pray, this is the time to do. But Moshe is still involved in prayer. Everybody's stuck. What's going to happen? The, the, the Paro is coming. His army is coming. The water is here. What are we going to do? Nachshom ben Imanov says, I will go into the water myself. I will descend into the sea. He goes into the sea further, further, further. As Mechot de Rabbi Yishmael explains, he literally jumped into the Red Sea. He fell into the sea. I sunk into the depths. There's no place to stand. I came up into the deep water. The Medjus explains the water was up to his neck. And then finally, in his merit, the sea split. Then the tribe followed him. And then Bnei Sol followed him. And he merited to have the kingdom, the Malchus, for him. Because alacrity, zeal, that is what is all about. That's where the Malchus comes from. Kingship, you have to have proper... Alacrity, proper zeal. He went first into the sea. He was great to everyone. Because of him, the sea split. Shara Kedusha explains, if you want to be involved in mitzvahs, you want to purify yourself, sanctify yourself in mitzvahs, you need to put all your might to perform all of the mitzvahs with alacrity because your organs and veins, 248, 365, there are different elements corresponding to mitzvahs. Losa says not negative commandments and positive commandments and it equals up to 613. You get involved in all of them in the right way. Your whole being will be truly sanctified and purified. That's why the tribe of Levi, they knew how to respond to the call. Their whole being was to serve Hashem. Moshe comes down from the Egel Azav. He sees that the whole Bnei Israel, at least 3,000 people are worshipping the calf. What is going on? They just got the Torah. How could this be possible? Moshe says, Mila Hashem Eli, who is to Hashem? Come to me. Only the tribe of Levi comes and they actually execute all the people who worshipped, even their own Brothers, because as Cheskuni explains, when the, the Sav is involved, when there's a commandment involved, it's something that has to be done now. It's something that has to be done immediately, not for a limited time. You must do it without delay. Even though it's human nature to try to push it off, we can't do that.
It's easy to delay a task when there's time or effort involved, but we need to go against our nature. Stand up and do the task right away, especially when it's a mitzvah. Think about what we talk about in Vayechi. Gur Yaakov blesses Yehuda that he's like a lion, the strongest of all animals. The the shevet lo yasor shevet miyuda. The the kingship will never leave you. But you need to be a strong lion. You also need to be a young lion with lightness and alacrity. You can't always be strong and wiping out people. You also have to be zealous, swift, light on your feet, and alacritous beyond the adult lion. You have to run and do as fast as possible, especially when you're the king. You have to make those lightning quick judgments and get things done right away. Perkelvis explains you can't just learn about things. You must do them, act on them right away. I don't care how much theory you learn in the base medrash. The point of Torah is not just to learn about it, it's to do it. Rabbi Shmuel explains if you learn Torah, that's great. In order to teach, that's great. You're given the means to teach and to learn. But if you learn on the order to practice, if you learn in order to give to others to do, then you're able to learn, to teach, to guard, and to do. That's the highest level. You can't just study. You need to do. You can't just wait around. You need to actually be doing things with alacrity. It's not about studying. It's about doing and practice. We need to be running to do things, not learning about things just in the study halls. Ramosha Feinstein points out, in some aspect, it's greater to be someone who's a volunteer than someone who is doing it for money. Someone who works for money cannot be expected to respond with the same alacrity as someone who does a great mitzvah, a volunteer of Pikuach Nefesh. And Contemporary Halachic Problems also points out the alacrity of a person who does something for pay does not match someone who does it for volunteering. There's a different amount, there's a different result. When you do something as a chesed, you do something for free, pro bono, there's such a beautiful feeling that you help the person without any ulterior motive. If we have a choice to run to do something for free and you don't have to worry about the money or to get paid, we should try to do it for free. Volunteering for something is vast differences than if you paid, if you get paid to do something. It's not only more noble, but you'll feel better in doing so. You'll feel like a better person, a better Jewish person, because you don't have ulterior motives. It's a real chesed shalemis. You're helping the other person without worrying about remuneration, without worrying about money. Think about how Yosef himself accepted missions without thinking about himself without thinking about what would come upon himself. He knew his brothers hated him. He told them the dreams and they responded with contempt. They always talked to him, look, the dreamer's coming. Look, this guy's coming. He thinks he's going to rule over us. Yaakov says, Yosef, I need my sheep. I need to know where my sons are. Go to Shechem. Go find them. Yosef knows intellectually he's going to face danger, but he still responds quickly with alacrity, saying, I'm ready. I'm going, even though my brothers hate me, even though who knows what will happen to me, I am ready quickly to do your bidding. Joseph runs to help his dad, even when the danger is involved. And those with alacrity perform mitzvahs as soon as possible, as Sif Sechacham explains. And if you do your affairs, you do your mitzvahs with alacrity, you will succeed in them, as pointed out by the improvement of moral qualities. And think about Shmuel Hanavi. Shmuel was the great leader. He's compared to Moshe and Aaron in our davening in Shabbos, on Kabbalah Shabbos, a great, great leader. He had so much hopes in Shaul. Shaul is told to get rid of the Amalekites, but he leaves Agag alive. He leaves the sheep alive, which we talked about last time. Might be some Amalekim that shape-shifted into a sheep. Shaul is devastated. Hashem tells him that the kingship is gone from... Shmuel is devastated. The kingship is gone from Shaul. Shmuel groomed him and tried to get him ready to be the king. Shmuel is devastated, but when Shaul comes... He doesn't waste a moment. He tells Agag, you got rid of people, you will be gotten rid of also. He literally executes Agag the second he can 
with alacrity, even though he's the leader of the generation, even though it might damage him in the long run, he still does it without a single moment's thought. That's destroying him with alacrity. So since we talked about alacrity, let's look a little bit at zeal now, and then we'll move over to our, my favorite guest star, the wonderful Eliyahu Hanavi. So here, when we think of zeal, the number one character we think of is Pinchas, from the Parsha of Pinchas. And many people say, the sages say, commentaries say that Pinchas and Eliyahu might have been the same person. Pinchas was rewarded for his zealotry. Eliyahu was told that the zealotry was too much, as we'll see in a bit. When Pinchas saw what happened, Balak tried to curse the Jews, it didn't work. But Balak gave some terrible advice. He said, get the maidens, get the girls from Midian. Try to entice the Jewish people and have them also bring out their idols. So you'll have two terrible sins at the same time, idolatry and morality. And that will ha- be how you will destroy the Jewish people. Lo and behold, Hashem had a magefa, he was very upset. A lot of people died, but Pinchas saw what was happening. Moshe Rabbeinu was crying, the sages were crying, nobody knew what the law was. He saw a prince. Kazbi, uh, Zimri was a prince. He saw the person, and, he, and Kazbi and Zimri, I forget which one was which, but they were, they were not doing a great thing, and Moshe forgot the law. Pinchas remembered the law. Hashem let him remember the law so he could get this reward. Pinchas saw him. He followed, this, he followed the prince. He followed the lady. He stabbed both of them at the same time, and because of him, the plague against the Jews were checked. The 24,000 people were gone. But... Pinchas was able to stop it. Interestingly, 24,000 people also were gone during the Omer Sphira time, which we were just in. Very interesting, but that's not for now. But because of that, Pinchas displayed his passion, his zealotry for Hashem. He saved the Jewish people, and he saved out the, the Jewish nation. Although he was a prince, he didn't refrain from showing his zeal. He didn't think about how it would negatively affect him. He didn't think about how I'm a prince, it's beneath my dignity to do this. No, he got up, and he took his zeal, he did it right away. Because you need to be zealous for Hashem in the right way, even though it may be dangerous. Even though you might think it's beneath you, but nothing is beneath us. You must do whatever is, is called upon you to do. Mishiel Shisharm explains, you want to merit service to the Creator, you do it with zeal. If you want to do the mitzvahs properly, you want to complete them properly, you be zealous. You do early to do mitzvahs. The zealous are early to do mitzvahs. Remember, zeal is closely related to his best friend Alacrity. That's why they come together. Completing the mitzvahs as soon as possible with passion for Hashem unites the two together in a loving bond. And then you think about the book of the Maccabees, the Hashemurim story. The Greeks at the time wanted to get rid of the physical existence of the Jew- the spiritual existence, excuse me, of the Jewish people. They wanted to get rid of Rosh Chodesh, they wanted to get rid of Brismila. When Matisyahu saw something that he didn't like, he saw something that made him incensed, his reins trembled, he was inflamed with zeal, he was so angry for Hashem, he ran and he slew this sinner on the altar. And then someone else he also killed at that time. He was zealous for Hashem, just like Pinchas did to Zimri and to Kazbi. Pesachim explains, you want to engage in Torah study and engage in mitzvahs in the right way, then start in not the right way. Meaning, if you do something in lolishma, it'll come lishma. If you don't have alacrity, you don't have zeal, fake it till you make it. Even though at first you do it not for their own sake, when you keep doing it, you'll come to do it for their own sake. Mr. Yosher also points out, a good advice is to act with zeal by force of will, in order that the will will come about inside you. It'll awaken the longing inside you. So the idea, our point is, is to have an attitude of mitoch shalolishma balishma. When you do something without the right fervor, but you try, eventually the fervor will come. You pretend to have zeal, and the zeal will come. 
But remember, Orcha Sadiqan points out, it's a very good quality to have zeal, but you must use it properly and not too quickly. Don't go overzealous. Don't go too fast. Don't use it for the wrong way to pursue your passion for food, to pursue your passion for listening to crazy music and crazy shows. But busy yourself in good deeds and not bad deeds. Think about the wrong type of zeal. Brings to mind Nadav and Aviyu and Korach. Nadav and Aviyu were filled with zeal, were filled with passion for Hashem. The Mishkan was donated. They were so excited to bring a carbon for Hashem, but it wasn't commanded. Moshe didn't tell them to do it. Hashem didn't tell them to do it. And according to some sages, they were inebriated, which is against the halacha. You're not allowed to go in when you're under the influence of wine. They went up, they took a strange fire before Hashem, and Hashem took them away. Terribly disappointing, terribly sad for Aaron, but to his credit, he didn't complain. And then Aaron learned that you're not allowed to bring things when you're inebriated, which why, might, why be, might be why that's why people say that. They took a strange fire, which was not commanded, and that's not allowed. You have to have the right zealotry, the right reasons of doing things. And if you want to do things, you have to do it with the right things. You have the love for mitzvahs, do it in the right way. Do it in the way that Hashem commands you, not in a way that is not commanded. Think about Korach. Korach was all in it for himself. They say, What in the world did Ruvain have to do with Korach's situation? Korach was very upset at his cousin Moshe and Aaron. He wanted everything for himself. But why did Ruvain come? That's why Rashi points out, Oy Rasha, Oy You need to have good neighbors, good people to influence you. You're next to Korach, you're going to be influenced in the wrong way. Reuven came with them. You're influ- if you have a good neighbor, like a Moshe, you'll be influenced in the right way. Make sure to have good neighbors as a side point, which also comes up in Perkevus. But Korach's zeal for the high priest that led him to a rebellion that was bitterly divisive. His passion for God was misguided. His love was not true. His beauty was not pristine. Korach was toxic and had to be stopped. The wrong religious zeal is toxicity and must be removed from the body of the Jewish people, from the body of the world. Religious zeal was a driving force in their lives, but it has to be for the right reasons. You have to use it for good, and don't do things too fast. Think about how the Jewish people left Egypt so quickly. They left with zeal. They didn't have time to let the Chametz rise. That was a beautiful way. When they brought things for the Mishkan, they did it with zeal. They did it so quickly. They came close to Hashem. There was so much joy. But the Nesim missed out on this point. The Nesim said, we'll bring whatever anybody else doesn't bring. But they misguided the people's interest in zeal and donation. It wasn't laziness per se, as pointed out by adathisraelshul.org. They underestimated the excitement of the people in the project. A leader who underestimates his people is not able to lead them. You have to realize where the zeal comes and use it the right way. Get everyone involved. And you yourself should also be involved. That's why when they did the Karbanos, they tried to do it as fast as possible and the most grandiose way possible, even though all the Nassim gave the same carbon. That's why each one may be listed in the Torah. It's easy to have zeal in the beginning for a project or an idea. It's so much harder to keep it as time progresses. We must muster the energy when we first started and keep using it. That's why I think many times I do the shows, I try to do them very often, but sometimes I'm lacking the energy. Sometimes I'm lacking the passion for it. I have to remember when I first started it, what it was like. We have to remember if we first thought of an idea, we first thought of a mitzvah, we first thought of a chesed. As we keep doing it, we lose that passion, but we must bring it back like when we first start. A person should fortify himself, strengthify himself with a zeal, as Masil Sharm also points out, doing the mitzvos, get rid of that laziness. It's the enemy. Procrastination is not your friend. 
And if you don't deal with laziness, you will be able to deal with zeal. Get rid of laziness. Get rid of the needing to always be tranquil. Get rid of how much enjoyment you think you need in this world. We only have a 220 years, only so many hours in the day. Find that zeal and use it. You want to do the service for Hashem? Do it with diligence and zeal to do what's in your power. Start at what you want to do. Hashem will help you finish what you want. The duties of the heart explains Hashem will help you accomplish what you think is beyond your ability. Pergalvis points out, you can't finish everything, but you must start it at least. You might not be able to finish everything, but you might not be able to finish everything, but you must start it. You have to start. Go on the way. Hashem will help you. Complacency is easy, but it's the opposite of zeal. Use zeal and go. If we use zeal to start things and imitate good things for Torah and Mitzvah, Hashem will help you. Make sure it's for good. And the way you want to go, Hashem will lead you. You want to do bad, Hashem will lead you to bad, God forbid. You want to do good, Hashem will lead you to good where you want to go. But when you have passion, you have zeal, you must have a teacher. Think about two of the great kings in the Bnei Yehuda. In the Malchai Yehuda. Malchai Yisrael, Malchai Yehuda had a lot of ups and downs after the kingdom split. Yehuda had more kings that were good, I believe, than bad. Malchai Yisrael did not have such good kings. Cheskiyah and Yosheh were two very good kings, but they were guided by very good mentors. Cheskiyah got rid of so many things. He got rid of the shrines. He smashed the pillars. He cut down the posts. And he brought about such a wonderful movement amongst Bnei Yisrael, but it was because Yeshayahu was around, the prophet. He was his guide. Yeshayahu told him that he's going to have Menashe. Told him he still has to get married. still going to have a son like that. He was guided by Yeshayahu. I think they even were related to each other. Maybe they married into each other's families. I don't remember. But he had to have a guide, a mentor. Yeshayahu also, he did great things. He brought about a whole tshuva movement. He got rid of idolatry. And he made he purged Yehuda and Yerushalayim. But as long as Chilkiyahu, the Kohen Gadol, was with him, he was able to do this. Once he lost Chilkiyahu, he passed away, because he started at such a young age, and then Chilkiyahu passed away. Then he was a little bit lost, a little bit less guided. Perkei explains in one six. You need to have a teacher. You need to have a companion. No matter what, whatever way you could, any way you could acquire yourself for your friend, but you must make for yourself a teacher. You can't buy a teacher. You make a teacher. You could acquire yourself a friend in any way, maybe even buying him or whatever, finding him out through partnerships and deals, but that rabbi, that mentor, you must make for yourself. You can't buy him out. You need a guide, a mentor, to show you how to use your alacrity and zeal for the right reasons and ways. And Chovos Avav, it shows that if you're humble, you do things with diligence, you do things with zeal. You should realize, Orchot Sadiqan points out, if you would do it publicly with zeal, you need to do it in private with zeal. Just the same zeal you would use in public, you do it in private. You should do things without needing reward, without needing recognition. Do it anonymously. That's why the highest level of tzedakah, giving someone a job, letting them be on the way, and then right under that is doing everything anonymously. Zeal is a great quality to have, and it makes the world better. That's the quality of the righteous, Orchad Sadikim shows. And it's an ornament to all of the qualities. It corrects all of the qualities when you have zeal. Zeal is the beginning of all ethics. You start with zeal and you go out from there, Orchad Sadikim points out. Rabbi Yonah also agrees and points out, get rid of the anger and use it for Hashem. Use it for the right reason. Zealous for Hashem like Pinchas in the right way. Use passion for zeal, especially if no one is watching, as we explain here on the point. It's easy to show, to show passion when in public, but use it in your own home and private for Torah and mitzvahs, especially through actions, because that's how kids learn from what you do. On Yom Kippur, why should we once a year 
that we have such a zealotry to return to Hashem. Every day we should have tshuva. Every day we should come back to Hashem because every day, God forbid, could be our last day. We don't know how many years we're given. We hope to have 120 years. Gemara explains we should do tshuva every day because no one knows when their last day is. So have zeal every day, not just on Yom Kippur when we feel such a powerful surge for Hashem. And remember the Levites, they were the ones that had the original zeal. They slew the people in the golden calf. We should have zealotry for Hashem like they did. So after talking about zeal, after talking about alacrity, let's talk about one of my favorite characters in the whole Tanakh. Let's talk a little bit about Eliyahu Hanavi. Eliyahu Hanavi is a fascinating character, a fantastic character. And he, he's present throughout history, he's present throughout Tanakh, he's present throughout the Talmud. But during his time, he had a very big confrontation. He had very big opponents. Ahav and Izevel, terrible king and queen, really horrible. And they had someone in their court who they didn't realize was someone, basically a double agent, a secret agent. Ovadia was a prophet himself. And he hid a hundred prophets of the Lord, 50 men to a cave. But literally, he was the last man standing. Eliel was the last one around. Eliel was sick and tired of people having two-facedness. They would pray to Hashem in public, but they have idolatry in private. When people would look for idols, they would hide them behind the walls in previous generations. They would put it on the door so when the door opened, nobody could see the idolatry. And Eliel was sick and tired of it. He said, Achav, send me the prophets of the Baal. Send me the prophets of the Asherah. This ends now. Come to me at Har Carmel. We will have a showdown. This is going to end on my watch. Ahab sent orders to all the Jewish people, gathered all the prophets at the Mount Carmel. Eliyahu said, I am the only prophet left. Well, there are 450 men of Baal. Can you imagine Eliyahu by himself with the, with the sacrifice, with all the water being poured and all the other Baal people next to him? Eliyahu would mock them. And he called upon this himself. This wasn't asked from Hashem. This was something he did with his own zeal, with his own alacrity, trying to discredit the prophets of the Bible. He was so angry, incensed on behalf of Hashem, that he called together this, this gathering. He mocked them and he, and he said to them, maybe you should shout a little louder. Maybe you should take a little more blood. They can't hear you. And then Elio said to Hashem, please help me. Please let this happen. Let, let this sacrifice come to Hashem. Everyone will realize that you're Hashem. It'll be an open miracle. It'll be a true Kiddush Hashem. So Eliyahu said, bring more water, more water. It was a credence to the people that they brought the water, even though it was a drought, which we'll talk about that Eliyahu himself imposed on the people. Then Eliyahu, he prayed, and the fire from Hashem came, consumed everything, not just the offering, but everything around him. Everyone came and flung on the ground and said, Hashem hu Elohim! Hashem hu Elohim! Those three words, very famous. They come in Yom Kippur. We feel so close to Hashem, we realize... Hashem so blatantly is the only one, the only king in the world. And then Eliyahu literally went and killed all of the prophets of the Baal. He didn't let a single moment go by. He took his zealotry for Hashem. He got rid of all of them there. And then he literally ran in front of Ahab all the way, all the way to wherever he went because he gave cover to Malchus. Even though he was tired, even though he just proved himself, he still humbled himself and ran in front of Ahab because he had zealousness and alacrity for Hashem even asking for an unprecedented miracle and mocking idols. Interestingly, in Sanhedrin, the story precursor to the Har Carmel, Chiel's friend, Chiel, was someone who was a mourner. He was a good friend of Ahav, and Eliyahu also came to be 
Menachem Avel. So Eliyahu and Ahav are in Chiel's house. Can you imagine such a diametric opposite people in the same Shiva house? The great Eliyahu and the terrible Ahav. Ahav is going on and on explaining how I'm doing all this idolatry and the Torah talks about how nothing will be around. There'll be no, there'll be curses, there'll be no rain, there'll be no food. Look at me, I'm doing all this idolatry. There's so much idolatry, nothing's happening. Eliyahu is incensed. Can you imagine the chutzpah? How could someone be a king? How could someone know about the Torah and still do idolatry? It doesn't make any sense. That's why they say we never understand the, the Yetzirah for idolatry. It doesn't make any sense to us. The Chachamim took it away. But still, in those times, they had such a need for it. Eliyahu, though, was so angry that he himself said, I need for the rain to stop. He needs to be put in his place. Eliyahu's reaction, Eliyahu said, as the Lord Hashem lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain all of these years according to my word. Eliyahu prayed for mercy. He was given the key of rainfall from Hashem to dictate when it would come because he was so zealous for Hashem. He was so angry on behalf of Hashem. He was standing up for Hashem's honor even when it's not popular, even when no one else was doing it. The very famous phrase of Eliyahu Navi, after he walks, we'll look at the source in a minute, he walks for 40 days, Hashem tells him. You'll have one meal, you're going to walk for 40 days until a place that I share. I'm going to show you this great vision. It has thunder, it has lightning, it has loud, rumbling mountains, and then it's going to have a small, still voice. Where is Hashem, Eliyahu? Where is Hashem found? Is He found in the noise, or is He found in the small, still voice? And Hashem explains to Eliyahu, that I am found in the small, still voice. And why are you here, Eliyahu? Hashem asked him, what are you doing? What are you doing here? So Eliyahu says, very famous, I am moved by zeal for Hashem, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant. They tore down your altars. They killed the prophets by the sword. I am the last one. They want to kill me. I am the one that's zealous for you, Hashem. I am the one that's standing up for you. Because I am the one that stood up for you. I slew the false prophets on the Mount Carmel. I restored the people of the house of Israel. As the Shirashim explains in the Targum. Eliyahu gave vent to his anger. And he said a second time, Hashem showed him the vision. He asked him a second time, What are you doing here, Eliyahu? Why are you here? I'm not able to stand up for the zealotry. I cannot stand what they did to you, Hashem. I am angered. I am incensed for you, Hashem. I am so zealous for you because of the honor, the desecration to your honor. Shemona Prakam explains, Eliyahu gave vent to his anger, although he did so against unbelievers, against whom his wrath blazed up. The sages declared, Hashem had to take him from the world. He was too zealous, too alacritous for Hashem. Sometimes it can go too far for God. Rabbi Sachs explains in a beautiful article in OU.org that Eliyahu didn't understand what Hashem was trying to tell him. Hashem is not found in violent confrontation. He's not found in the thunder and the lightning. He's found in gentleness and in the words softly spoken. The zealot who takes the law into his own hands is on a course of action fraught with moral danger. Only the most holy man may do so maybe once in his life. Only in situations of pikuach nafesh and moser nafesh, when there's nothing else to be done. But if you asked to do it, you wouldn't be allowed to do it. You did such a crazy situation. You're, all, you're going on a path of moral danger. We can't have you around anymore. And again, Eliyahu was told to go to that vision for 40 days. He had the zealotry, he had the zeal, he had the power and the passion to walk with Hashem's help for 40 days on one meal. 
whatever he came to Mount Chorev. Elisha also readily understands the, the message from Elio. He's going to take over for Elio, but he realizes there has to be a proper balance. He's drawn to Elio. He learns from Eliyahu, but he realizes there has to be a balance to that zealotry, to that zeal, to that alacrity. Elisha takes over for him, and Elisha finds a better balance. Interestingly, Elisha looks very different than Eliyahu Navi, and he has his own stories also. As they're walking, one of my favorite psukim, Vayihi Hema Hochem Halach Medaber. Elisha and Eliyahu are walking and talking. Elisha knows Eliyahu is going to be taken away soon. A fiery chariot with fiery horses appears. It separates from from another. Eliyahu went up to heaven. Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. So quickly, so alacritously, Eliyahu was taken away from his disciple Elisha. Even his quote-unquote death was with sudden alacrity and fervor, he was taken away alive. They talk about in Moed Katan, isn't Eliyahu still alive? Reishwakish asks his chavrus Rabbi Yochanan, why did Elisha rent his garments? Why did he look for three days for Eliyahu with the common folk? They thought Eliyahu went on a little trip on a chariot, but really he was gone. Since it's written, he saw him no more. Eliyahu was considered dead from Elisha's perspective, so Elisha basically sat mourning for him. But Eliyahu is not dead. Baba Basra explains there are seven people that span the lifetime, span the human existence that are not dead, and one of them is Eliyahu Hanavi. Eliyahu is still alive. Eliyahu Achio later on. And then we think about, we see Eliyahu in many aspects of our life. Why do we mention him? Why do we bring him to the bris? Why do we see him at the Seder? Why do we talk about him on Moti Shabbos? If you say the, if you say the parak, you say the little capital after Shabbos. We're almost done, just a few more minutes. If you talk about him after Shabbos, why is there a zebra about Eliyahu Navi? Maskir Eliyahu Navi Mispalin Shayava Vivasar Lana We talk about Eliyahu Navi. We daven that he comes and bring us good tidings. Lefishein Eliyahu Bab Erev Shabbos. Eliyahu will not come on Erev Shabbos. Shalom Levatali Sushomi Yaski Tarche Shabbos. So consider, he doesn't want to mess up our Erev Shabbos plans, getting ready for Shabbos or Erev Yom Tov. And began by Shabbos, he must fall in Shiva, even Shemas Beglun. So consider it. He won't come on Shabbos. He doesn't want us to go more than what we're allowed to walk out of the Tachum Shabbos, out of the boundary of Shabbos. Al Kain la'achar Shabbos, Shabbos Shiachalavo after Shabbos passes. Anu mispalalim Shiava ve'yavasar la'ar Tov. We daven, we pray that Eliyahu Anavi should come. Right after Shabbos, and please bring us the Geula. My wife and I sing the famous song after Shabbos. Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu Atishbi, Eliyahu Agiladi, Eliyahu Hanavi. And then we say, Bimehera Yavo Eleinu, Im Mashiach, Im Mashiach Ben David. We want Eliyahu to come. We want him to bring Mashiach. It's enough already. Right after Shabbos should be when he should come. That's why we daven right away that he should come, bring us good. We ask Hashem, let him come right away. Every Moti Shabbos, Eliyahu should come. And he should bring us good zechosim and should bring us the geula. Because the Gemara and Ervin explains it's already been told to the Jewish people. Elio can't come in Erev Shabbos because of the trouble. We don't want people messing up their preparations. He can't come on Shabbos. We don't want people messing up how far they can walk or, or desecrate Shabbos, God forbid. But right after Shabbos, Elio should come. Mashiach should come. And that's why Elio also comes to the bris. Why does he come to the bris? Because when Elio stood up and he withhold the reins, he told Hashem, He said, I was so zealous for you. He said to Hashem, 
I am so angry on your behalf because of Gili Arias. Also, Pinchas ben Elazar also was so angry because of Gili Arias. Ken Atamekana, you're so zealous on my sake. You're so zealous that the Jews are forsaking their bris, forsaking their covenant, forsaking what they're supposed to do. By your life, Eliyahu, you will never miss a single bris. You think the Jews weren't doing the bris? You think the Jews weren't doing the mitzvahs? They weren't keeping up morality? You will be at every bris milah. That's why we have the kisei shel Eliyahu. And that's why we make the kisei. We want him to be there. He needs to be there. Chabad explains with Naftali Silberberg, Bris Mila was given to Eliyahu as he said to Hashem, they forsake your covenant. Hashem says, you think they forsake my covenant by your life. You will be at every Jewish bris. When we open the door on Pesach, we invite Eliyahu in just a few weeks ago. Eliyahu comes to visit every circumcision of every Jewish child. Testifies that the Jewish people are scrupulous in circumcision. Interestingly, why does he come to the Seder? Only males who had a bris can do the Seder. Males who are permitted to partake of the Pesach only if they had a bris. So who comes to testify that everyone at the bris has a everyone at the seder has a bris? Not other than Eliyahu Hanavi himself. Also, after coming of Mashiach, Eliyahu will resolve all the questions in the Gemara. Why does it always say Teku, Tishbi, Yetarets, Kushios, Veibayos? Who is Tishbi? Eliyahu Hanavi. He will answer all of our questions in the Gemara. So on the seder night, the fifth cup. Eliyahu's cup is an anticipation of the insight he will shed on the matter of all the questions we have in the Gemara. So I believe it could be Eliyahu was taken alive, given the tests of the Brits, of the Seder, heralding Mashiach, helping out in the Gemara. We'll show you in a minute. Throughout history until nowadays, because of his religious zeal, religious fervor, his religious alacrity for Hashem. Malachi explains, Eliyahu is the one that will bring the day that Mashiach will come. I will send Eliyahu to come to you before that great day. We always say in benching every single time we bench, May Hashem bring us Eliyahu so soon. He should bring us such good tidings as soon as possible. And then we say that we want Him to bring us the wonderful thing. We gave, Hashem gave him the covenant of peace. He made him the angel of the covenant. He will be the one to announce the redemption at the end of days. He is the one that always came to see the Jews doing good things. He will be the, bring, the one to bring the good things, to bring the good tidings to, to all the Jewish people. Interestingly, Yaakov made a covenant with Eliyahu. In five places, Eliyahu is spelled missing above. In five places, Yaakov is spelled with an extra vav. Why? Yaakov Keviyachal took the name, took the letter from Eliyahu, so that it would be a collateral that Eliyahu will come and will redeem us in the future. That's why Yaakov took the vav, until Mashiach comes when all will be unified, when all will be correct. Two examples from the Gemara, how Eliyahu shows up across the Talmud. In his life, Eliyahu was a very, very full of zealotry, very full of, very full of things, and he was one of the craftsmen who was going to bring the Mashiach, as pointed out in Sukkah. But he was there throughout history, throughout the Gemara. Brachos points out, Eliyahu says, don't get angry, you will not sin. Eliyahu was full of righteous anger for Hashem, full of zealotry for Hashem, but that's not the right way to do it. We're not supposed to be angry. Ramam says we're supposed to avoid anger and arrogance as much as possible. Do not get drunk. Do not get drunk on zealotry and on alacrity. You will not sin. When he set out on a journey, consult with Hashem, then set out. This comes from Eliyahu's own life experience. Do what Hashem asks. Don't do what Hashem doesn't ask. Don't get angry. 
if Hashem doesn't want you to be angry. Don't get drunk on power if Hashem doesn't want you to be drunk on power. Make sure to daven when you go on your way. And then in Baba Mitzia, the Gemara explains that Elio talks to someone who is on the verge if he should inform on his nation for execution. Elio says, no, my own life I ran away so that I wouldn't have to make anyone else get hurt or anyone else get killed. I ran away. I went into hiding so nobody else would be hurt. You should flee rather than accept an appointment to inform on the Jewish people. Better to stand up for honor with zeal of the nation and Hashem and run away with hurry as Eliyahu did when he was threatened by Ahab and Ezebel than to do nothing or let others mess with the nation or Hashem. Now we're going to wrap up, bring all the points to you that we talked about tonight. Let's wrap up together. We need to seize the moment today. No one else will do the mitzvah for you. You need to jump off, run after things, and do it now. Don't wait for tomorrow because tomorrow may never come with the same chances and opportunities. The enemy of doing things now is procrastination. Don't fall prey to his traps. If you have a great idea, you must share it with the world. It would almost be a sin to keep it to yourself. If we only do things for ourselves, not for the world, not sharing our passion and our innovative inventions, what are we doing here? We need to run to do mitzvahs, run away from sins. Use the alacrity to do good, flee from the bad. The whole idea of the Torah is not just for study, but for doing things, for in practice. We need to not be in theory in the study halls, but running to do things with alacrity. We should be the first ones to run to do things, including seizing upon a mitzvah, greeting others. The harder to do things, the more reward will come. might not be easy, easy to say hi to people, but you can change their life. You could change their day forever. Use alacrity like Avraham and do things for mitzvahs, do things for chesed. Think of the idea of the rabbinic phrase, Derech Eretz Kadmala Torah. Proper midos, proper manners comes before anything else. Make sure you're a mensch, an alacritous mensch first. Make sure to have the proper alacrity for the right reasons and the right way for Torah and mitzvot. It's not misguided, not misplaced to get honor or privilege. Don't push others out of the way to make Kiddush or get an aliyah first. Be a mensch. Although we technically do a mitzvah throughout the day or night, we should do it above and beyond. We should run to do it as soon as we can. Do mitzvahs even if they won't get into effect until later, like Moshe Rabbeinu. If a mitzvah comes to your hand, don't hesitate to do it. Don't let it become chametz. Don't lose the opportunity. It's easy to delay a task, especially when there's time or effort involved. But if we go against our nature, we stand up and do the task right away. That's what we want to do. That's what we need to do in this life, to do the mitzvahs. If we have a choice to do it for free or to get paid, try to do it for free. It's more chesed and more rewarding. Remember, zeal is related to his best friend, alacrity. You do a mitzvah as soon as possible with fervor, with zeal, with passion. That unites the two together in a beautiful harmony. You need to be zealous for Hashem in the right way, even though it may be dangerous or might be beneath you. Quote, unquote, for zeal and alacrity, if you haven't done it yet, if you don't have it yet, you don't have it within you, have an attitude of mitoch shalolishma balishma. When you do it without the right fervor, but you try, eventually it will come. Pretend to have the zeal and it will come. Make sure to use the zeal for good and don't do things too fast. It's easy to have zeal in the beginning for a project or an idea, but it's much harder to keep it as time progresses, we must muster the energy like when we first started. Keep using it hard many times to keep energy from my shows, but I know that I have to tap into that zeal, passion as much as possible. Complacency is easy, but the opposite of zeal. Use zeal and go. If you use zeal to start things and imitate things, good ideas for Torah mitzvahs, Hashem will help you. 
make sure it's for good because Hashem will lead you. That's why it's good to do Vasikin a lot of times. Get up right away to Davin as fast as you can, as a listener pointed out. You need a guide and a mentor to show you how to use your clarity and zeal and alacrity for the right reasons in the right way. You have to use your passion with zeal, especially if no one is watching. It's easy to show passion when in public, but use it even in your own home in private for Torah and mitzvahs, especially through actions to show kids to learn from what you do. You stand up for Hashem's honor even when it's not popular, even when no one else is doing it. And it's better to stand up for honor with the zeal of the nation than Hashem and run away with Hari as Eliyahu did than to do nothing or let others mess with the nation or Hashem. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed. God willing, we'll be back in two weeks after Shavuos. God willing, with another topic here at 8.30, Bli Neder. And I'm so happy you guys joined us. This has been Reb T. Hope you have a great time. And have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time. We'll post it on Share Enjoyment where all the other things are there.